listeners, and welcome to Views from the Crow's Nest. This podcast is an in-house production of Fisher Jordan, which is a specialized management consulting firm based in New York with emphases in strategy, analytics, and technology. You can find out more about Fisher Jordan, including our approach to delivering client value, career opportunities, and our work within our communities online at fisherjordan.com. That's F-I-S-C-H-E-R, Jordan, J-O-R-D-A-N.com. If you're new here, my name is Nathan Johnson. I'm a member of the Fisher Jordan team and the most consistent, though perhaps not the most interesting, voice on this podcast. Maybe, I don't know, you be the judge. In this episode, my colleague Sachin Goel and I had a chance to chat about alternative financing before, during, and after a global pandemic with our special guest, Naren Nayak. Naren is a capital markets and securitization professional with over 20 years of experience in diverse industries, including investment banking, mortgages, specialty finance, and power and gas. His professional focus has been to develop creative financing solutions for a range of asset classes from unsecured consumer loans, mortgages, student loans, power plants, and natural gas pipelines to several other esoteric asset classes. He was most recently the head of capital markets for a fintech online consumer lender and is currently the treasurer at Credibly. He's done work in securitization, asset-backed securities, and the like for names like Freddie Mac, Morgan Stanley, Barclays, and more. Just for the sake of clarity, although Naren brings considerable career experience to this discussion, his insights and observations are merely derived from his expertise, and he does not appear on Views from the Crow's Nest as a representative for his employer's views. That said, this was a fascinating conversation, and I'm excited to share it with you. So let's get into it. Here is our conversation with Naren Nayak. Welcome to the Crow's Nest. All right. Well, Naren and Sachin, welcome to Views from the Crow's Nest. Thank you. Hi, Nathan. Before we get started, just going to do some quick intros of, of who's on here today. Um, Sachin, we'll start with you as co-host today. Say a little bit about yourself and uh, where you're joining from. Yeah, sure. Uh, my name is Sachin Goyal, and uh, I am a senior engagement manager at Fisher Jordan. And currently, I am uh, sitting in India and tackling the second wave of COVID. Yeah, there's there's a lot going on for you guys out there. I'm glad you're able to join us safely. Yeah. And then uh, it's my pleasure to welcome our guest here today, Naren Nayak. Thanks for joining us today. Uh, excited to talk with you a little bit about your work with Credibly and the world of alternative financing. You're currently serving as treasurer at Credibly, as we've already discussed. Uh, in very brief, how would you describe what you do? Yeah, uh, I'm essentially responsible for our funding strategy and I manage our uh, liquidity position for the company. Very good. Well, for our audience then, can you tell us, just as kind of an intro, um, how lenders like Credibly are different from a traditional lender like a JP Morgan? Just what are, what are some of the differences there? Uh, sure. Uh, there, there are a number of differences, but uh, let's focus on a, a few key ones. JP Morgan and other traditional bank lenders are depository institutions. So they have uh, uh, deposits, which uh, are their source of funding. Uh, They are also uh, heavily regulated by government agencies, whether it is a Federal Reserve or the FDIC or OCC, versus uh, companies like Credibly, which don't take deposits. So we need to fund ourselves. 
you know, most of these, um, you know, alternative lenders are typically funded by either the founders, they invest their own uh, money into getting these uh, businesses up and running. And when the business is uh, of a certain size, typically a private equity firm uh, invests in them. So the equity from the founders and, and the private equity firm is the primary source of funding, even before um, you, know, you get a bank line. And we are not regulated by these government agencies. So th- that is the main difference between uh, companies like um, JP Morgan and other bank lenders versus credibly, uh, we, we are also called uh, fintechs or financial technology firms or alternative lenders. And, uh, you know, we essentially uh, are trying to disrupt traditional ways of doing business using, uh, you know, uh, our technology platform and uh, non-traditional sources of data. So that is the primary difference. Let's say uh, a borrower, right? Like what could be the typical reason why he would prefer lender like Credibly over a traditional lender like JP Morgan or MX? Like what could be a reason from a borrower point of view? Sure. Um, we think uh, based on uh, the feedback that we have received from our merchants, uh, we think the ease of doing business and the, um, the ability to get their uh, funding quickly is the primary driver. When, when they come to firms like Credibly, uh, typically the process can be as uh, quick as 24 hours, but certainly no later than 72 hours. And that's a huge uh, difference for them. And if you look at the uh, profile of the merchants that um, look to borrow from us, um, these are typically the smaller businesses which require a loan of, uh, let's say, $50,000 to $100,000, right? And, you know, these are um, guys like pizzerias, uh, a Dunkin' Donut franchise, uh, a dentist's office, a travel agency, you name it. I mean, and... They need these funds pretty quickly. They, they don't have the time or the luxury to, you know, work with these uh, traditional banks, which take a lot of time. And uh, we, we see that as a competitive advantage. The, the true gap, if you look at what the banks lend to and what alternatives lend to, is more pronounced in the, um, the lower credit spectrum. And what I mean by that is um, each uh, merchant or each borrower if you rank order them based on their credit quality, typically the banks lend to the merchants who are at the top end of that credit spectrum or higher credit quality. Hmm. It's the lower credit quality merchants who miss out. Um, and typically the top credit quality merchants um, you know, want uh, larger uh, advances and they want cheaper interest rates because they know they can get it because of their credit quality. And, and the banks have a, um, a bright line around 36% interest rate. Um, it is, um, it's not a uh, regulation that mandates a 36% maximum interest rate of 36%, but over the years, um, the banks have uh, decided that from for regulatory purposes, we want to be below 36%. And as a result of that, um, some of these more uh, risky merchants are completely eliminated from their lending. 
And that gap needs to be filled by somebody. And uh, that somebody is like uh, a firm like Credibly and other alternative lenders who meet their needs. Um, that's the difference. I mean, we uh, Credibly as a lender is not limited uh, uh, to cap the uh, interest rate at 36%. We obviously have higher cost uh, to run our operation than a bank. Um, so we price the... Um, loans and advances accordingly. And our uh, rates are obviously much higher because, you know, our uh, you know, cost of doing business is much higher than what JP Morgan uh, and other banks can do. So we were talking even just at the beginning of this discussion, of course, we're still in the middle of a pandemic here in early Q2 2021, um, still talking about it. But I'd love to know more about how the COVID pandemic has impacted uh, the alternative commercial lending space competitively and otherwise. Uh, Naren, what do you think are some long-term and short-term effects either that we're already starting to see play out or that we'll see play out going forward? Well, um, the COVID-19 pandemic was uh, devastating, Uh, not just uh, a particular sector of the economy, but the entire economy. But Nowhere was the impact uh, felt more so than the small businesses. Now, a lot of these businesses, uh, the smaller businesses, uh, were able to work through the pandemic. Um, and uh, folks like Credibly worked with the merchants to, uh, to modify their uh, payment obligations and essentially held their hand through the depths of the crisis. A lot of them, I would say, survived. But some of them couldn't uh, adjust to the um, the COVID crisis and had to shut down. And uh, credibly, as being a lender to these businesses, our portfolio was impacted significantly. And not just us, all our competitors were impacted as well. Fortunately, you know, we find ourselves in a much stronger position than um, than before because. A lot of our competition, uh, unfortunately, couldn't um, survive the crisis. In terms of um, longer term effects, uh, it remains to be seen, you know, uh, how things play out. You know, if you're uh, familiar with the U.S. government's Paycheck Protection Program, that was uh, very helpful for a lot of these merchants. Um, it helped them through the crisis. You know, that program has evolved as well. I mean, not just um, the first installment of that program, which uh, came into effect in uh, May and June of 2020. And there there were also multiple uh, installments of the PPP. Um, There is the latest one that is currently in effect um, that is helping a lot of the merchants. But uh, it remains to be seen um, what's going to happen if these merchants are able to come out through the crisis or whether they will shut down. Kind of on that note, have you seen a change in the type of businesses that are leveraging alternative financing during COVID versus before? Yes, uh, that's a good question. Um, one of the, the, the largest industries that uh, we served before was uh, restaurants and eating places. Uh, this is pre-COVID. It constituted about 10% of our portfolio, or a little more than 10%. Some of the uh, other top five industries in our portfolio were, uh, you know, like dentist offices and doctor's offices. They are no longer uh, at the top of our portfolio. 
because as you can imagine, during the crisis, a lot of these um, dentist offices and doctor's offices, which relied on elective procedures, elective healthcare procedures were shut down. They're probably not back to their uh, pre-crisis operational levels just yet, but some of the other industries like uh, construction and uh, you know, any you know, home improvement stuff, those are, uh, are becoming a bigger chunk of our uh, portfolio. However, eating places continues to be the number one uh, industry in our portfolio. Um, but eating places uh, is a broad segment. It includes um, anything from online to all the way to high-end dining. A lot of the high-end dining uh, restaurants have shut down, but all the businesses that transformed into, you know, um, restaurants that transformed to delivery services and online ordering, I mean, those are doing well and we continue to service them. But we have a much more diversified portfolio today than uh, pre-pandemic. So due to COVID, right, uh, many businesses either completely or partially, like they became digital, right? Mm-hmm. So do you think like uh, that will have either any positive or negative impact on alternative lenders? So that's actually a very good point. Um, the fact that uh, they've become uh, digital, whether it is through uh, you know, apps or online ordering and things like that. It just means that um, these businesses, there's more data around these businesses for uh, alternative lenders to utilize and uh, make credit decisions. The way we think about it is the pandemic uh, probably accelerated these changes, right? Uh, you know, let's face it, we are all moving towards a technological sophistication. So I don't think... Uh, you know, you can um, ignore the the digitalization of businesses, if we can call it that. But I think what the pandemic did was just brought that forward. It just made uh, it made it faster. I think it's a positive uh, evolution uh, in that firms like ours can uh, continue to refine their uh, underwriting models and utilize uh, non-traditional data and um, perhaps it will lead to um, more businesses uh, being able to avail uh, our uh, services over time. I actually wanted to pivot into something a little bit in the kind of current news for you guys at Credibly. Um, recently, you secured the new uh, asset-backed securitization. Um, mm-hmm. So first of all, congratulations on that. I understand that to be a, a pretty big deal. Um, so for those unfamiliar, can you first just give us a general picture of what that is and why it's significant? Sure. Um, securitization is a form of uh, lending, um, and it's a way to fund uh, our uh, business. And uh, it's a big deal because uh, typically the institutions that do securitization uh, set themselves apart from the competition because um, the capital markets Uh, recognize them for their uh, track record of uh, performance. So the securitization that we just did was our uh, second deal. We did our first securitization back in 2018. And the one that we did in uh, in April of 2021 was a refinancing of that 2018 uh, securitization. And um, the uniqueness about a securitization 
is that it allows us to lock in uh, the, the the securitization was uh, structured as a three three year term. So what that means is we lock in our um, uh, cost of funds for three years, and we finance our uh, portfolio of uh, loans and merchant cash advances in that uh, uh, securitization funding vehicle for three years. So as uh, uh, loans pay down, we can uh, top it up with uh, new loans and new merchant cash advances. It was uh, well received by the market and uh, we got a very good coupon. Despite the fact that uh, we had just come out of the COVID-19 crisis, the markets received the transaction very well. Like what do you think, like what could be the implication of uh, this on Credibly and other alternative lenders? Because if I know this correctly, maybe like this was the first securitization in this space uh, since the uh, COVID crisis, right? That, that is correct. Um, this um, uh, credibly 2021-1 securitization was uh, the first securitization in the small business, small and medium business finance uh, space. And uh, it sent a very positive uh, message to the investor community um, because uh, the COVID-19 pandemic is still not over. But what the investors uh, in our uh, prior ABS saw was that we were successful in managing through the crisis. All the investors were paid off in full. And we were one of the only couple of uh, uh, securitizations that did not go into a rapid amortization event. Uh, this is a technical term where, um, you know, uh, the, as I mentioned before, uh, the securitization financing was a three-year term. As a result of certain, um, you know, impacts of the COVID-19 crisis, merchants were not making payments. And what that does to the securitization is it leads to hitting certain triggers, which causes the uh, securitization to pay off before its three-year term. And um, we were one of the firms that um, were able to manage our merchants' um, payments successfully. And as a result, our securitization and all our financings, our bank lines, uh, remained intact through the crisis. And as a result, we were successful in uh, doing this securitization post-COVID. It sends a strong message about credibly to the investor community you know, it um, uh, vindicates their uh, belief in Credibly and its management team. You were talking about investors just a moment ago, and I wanted to ask a little bit about um, demand. Specifically, has, has demand gone up or down from the investor community when it comes to investing into alternative lenders right now? Well, the demand uh, is, is strong from the investor community as... Uh, uh, if you look at uh, when we were in the market with this uh, securitization, uh, there was a lot of interest. We were oversubscribed. And what that means is um, there's, there's more demand for our uh, notes or issuance than what we were able to offer to the market, um, which leads us to believe that there is strong demand for our, uh, any notes or investment instruments that we offer to the investors. The COVID-19 uh, crisis has had an impact and um, there is a little bit of premium being paid uh, and perhaps you can call it COVID tax 
the investors do want a little bit of uh, premium in terms of credit spreads um, on, on their investments. But by and large, their uh, interest continues to be there. It continues to be strong. And particularly for firms like Credibly, which has managed itself well through the crisis. There was just a, a mention that you just had just a moment ago, Narayan, about the lenders kind of self-managing. And kind of on that note, I, I'm curious about what are some different challenges that alternative lenders maybe had to face in terms of retaining funding that they already had uh, due to COVID? Sure, sure. As you can imagine, um, most of the financing requires uh, the portfolio uh, to be very healthy. And what, what a healthy portfolio means uh, is that um, the borrowers are able to service the portfolio on a regular basis, meaning make timely you know, interest payments, and uh, principal payments to the extent it is there in their schedule. Uh, that needs to be made on a periodic basis. If there is a reduction in um, uh, payment activity from the borrowers, the portfolio becomes delinquent and um, it could have uh, you know, negative consequences for their financing. And that's what uh, happened to most uh, alternative lenders. There was a slowdown. The SMB finance sector is unique uh, in a lot of ways in that um, you know, the merchants have to make payments and uh, typically these payments are uh, structured as daily payments or weekly payments. They're more frequent than the typical monthly payments that you see in other sectors. And um, giving somebody a payment holiday is probably not the best thing in the world um, and we know that, um, you know, our uh, management team uh, knows that very well because several people on our team have lived through other crises uh, that have happened, whether it is the 2008 uh, Great Recession or the 2001 uh, dot-com bubble. Uh, first, you know, we've seen uh, our management team has seen these crises and we think we we we're in a unique position to make certain decisions internally that uh, worked well for us. Uh, so we, we did not uh, give merchants a payment holiday, but we worked with them proactively to help with their payments. We gave them uh, modifications. Uh, we allowed them to reduce their payments. Um, we monitored them on a regular basis. And when their businesses, um, you know, came bounced back up, we asked them to go back to their regular payments. So our servicing strategy and our, uh, the way we executed through the crisis put us in a good stead versus um, you know, a lot of our uh, competition, we're not fortunate enough to think through this and do it the way we did it. You know, most of them, most of the guys who had a securitization ended up um, losing that uh, because uh, the portfolio went delinquent. And when the portfolio goes delinquent, they hit certain triggers, the financial triggers in their financing, which results in uh, them losing that financing capacity. That's what uh, happened during the crisis. I'm just curious, like uh, for this whole lending uh, space, right? Like what were the key differences uh, this time, like uh, this uh, current mm -hmm. ongoing crisis versus the past crisis? Like, what were the key differences for this lending space? 
No, very, very good question. Uh, unlike uh, the Great Depression of 2008 or uh, the dot-com bubble of 2001-2, you know, the COVID-19 crisis affected all sectors of the economy. You know, when you compare it to the 2008 uh, crisis, that was uh, primarily the banking and the lending sector and the mortgage sector. Uh, most of the other sectors uh, were generally okay. I mean, there were uh, impacts of the lending sector that were felt by other sectors, like the auto sector was impacted, but it was a primarily a lending crisis. And when you look at the COVID-19 crisis, it is a you know, health crisis. It's a global pandemic that affected all sectors of the economy, you know, manufacturing services, healthcare, and lending. So th that's the primary difference. You know, the way we, our executive team thought about it is we had to come up with a solution that worked for credibly and not do it uh, in a way that, you know, um, a lot of other people did, other, other institutions did. And having gone through the crisis, uh, some of us in 2008, we knew how uh, a lending institution should handle the crisis. Um, and we did exactly that. And also kudos to the, the management team. It's not that it's just an idea. We need to be able to execute it. Everybody contributed. You know, without having the analytics of the data science team, we wouldn't be able to come up with a solution. Without having the reporting infrastructure of the technologies team, we wouldn't see this coming. Um, and without the uh, experience of our uh, portfolio management team, we wouldn't have uh, been able to pull it off. And without the uh, you know, experience of our uh, finance and uh, executive management team, we wouldn't have uh, come up with a solution for our investors. Uh, we did all this because of the fact that we have the right people in the right roles in the company. And uh, we thought through this and uh, we were able to execute. I just wanted to kind of wrap things up with a bit of a, a broad question for you, Naren. Uh, how do you see the the space evolving in a longer term time frame, maybe ten to twenty years? Sure, uh, we think uh, the SMB finance sector um, is uh, poised for a change. This sector is uh, unique in that it still relies heavily on uh, brokers or independent sales organizations to grow. Um, that is the, the, our single biggest uh, origination channel. About 80% of our volume comes through uh, independent uh, sales organizations. We see a future state where the brokers are no longer the drivers of this business. There could be other ways, other strategic opportunities um, to grow this space. We think uh, there are other business models, there are other competitors who have been successful in this space, uh, like um, folks who have access to merchant data. We love our brokers. I mean, they um, provide us access to the merchants who need uh, our uh, products, uh, merchant cash advances and, and loans. But the brokers come at a huge price. It is our single biggest cost today. And we think, the markets are somewhat inefficient in that the brokers continue to take a huge uh, commission. If you look at the other uh, lending sectors like mortgages, student loans, or credit cards, they rely on brokers too, but it's not that the brokers make uh, a whole lot. They don't charge an arm and a leg 
to get to originate a loan. That's something that we think will evolve. But today, that's where the market is. And we think, um, you know, this sector is poised for a change, for the better, where somebody with access to merchant data um, will be able to capitalize on the, you know, sources of uh, getting leads to merchants who have, who, who have a need for, uh, for a loan or a merchant cash advance. I mean, that's our vision. We want to be somebody like uh, a Square or a PayPal who has access to these kinds of uh, merchant data. And I, I feel like there is also one more change going right in parallel that is on the cryptocurrency side. Because today I read an article in which uh, they mentioned that almost 80% of the top banks across the world, they are currently doing some research on cryptocurrency. So it seems yeah. at least that traditional lenders are looking into cryptocurrency right now. Like Narend, are you guys worried about uh, this uh, development on cryptocurrency? It's a, it's a fair point. Um, I think cryptocurrency, along with all the other payment uh, uh, platforms, right? We think of these as another payment um, facilitation platform, you know, versus lending, right? You know, if you think about the fintech space, uh, the finance and technology space, there are lending companies and there are payment oriented companies, right? And perhaps there are more, <laughs> uh, you know, payment uh, type companies than lenders today in the fintech space. Uh, maybe, maybe um, you know, it has evolved um, in some ways. We think crypto is going to be part of that fintech uh, space. But it remains to be seen where the um, the value addition is going to be, whether it is more on the lending side or whether it is on the payment side of things. But yeah, definitely that is uh, uh, that will be impacting our uh, you know credibly space in SMB finance sector in general. Well, Naren, thank you for your time and uh, for coming on here and and giving us more of a view of some of your interesting work at Credibly and uh, the alternative financing space. Uh, and Sachin, thank you also for helping me with the discussion. I really look forward to, to seeing more uh, in this space and more seeing how, how things evolve going forward. And uh, again, I appreciate you uh, lending your expertise here to uh, views from the crow's nest. Sure, sure. Thanks, uh, thanks Nathan. Thanks, Sachin. Uh, thanks, Narin. Thanks, Nathan. Thanks again for listening here on Views from the Crow's Nest. If you enjoyed it, we'd love it if you shared it with a friend or colleague. Writing a review or leaving a rating on whichever podcast app you use also helps this podcast become more discoverable to new listeners. As a reminder, you can always find and subscribe to Views from the Crow's Nest on all major streaming platforms, including Apple, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, and more. And of course, you can always access it directly via podcast.fisherjordan.com. Finally, if you have any comments or questions on today's episode, or even if you have a suggested topic for our next view from the crow's nest, feel free to send us an email, engage at fisherjordan.com, and we will see you from the crow's nest. Mm-hmm.